Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa's Devs Magazine. Today on the pod is Phil Schneider from the Death Valley Driver Message Board and the Segunda Cayeta website to talk about his new book, Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Wrestling History. We're going to talk about where the idea for the book came from, some matches that are in the book, some matches that are not in the book, and a lot of the names you probably would expect us to talk about. Flair, Rhodes, Lawler, Funk, Muda, and many, many more. We also talk about Phil's podcast that's a companion to the book and some of the people he's had on there to talk about matches, including Dustin Rhodes and Steve Kern to talk about matches they've had. We're also going to talk about some other wrestling topics, including the 1950s and 60s French stuff that they review on Segunda Caída, going to indie shows, and our love for Eddie Kingston. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. I've probably known or at least known of our guest today since before there was a World Wide Web in the early days of online wrestling fandom and discussion on something called Rec Sports Pro Wrestling. Kids, ask your parents about RSPW. He's one of the famed Death Valley Driver players and co-founder of the review site Segunda Caída. But he's here today to talk about his book and podcast called Way of the Blade, which documents 100 of the bloodiest matches in wrestling history. Please welcome to the show, Phil Schneider. How's How you doing, Mark? Phil? I'm good, good, buddy. Uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Uh... I appreciate it and looking forward to chatting. Yes, RSPW, good Lord. Uh, that was a long, 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 long time ago. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, I think you're like slightly younger than I am, but I remember the first time that I found the news groups, I was like a sophomore or junior in college. So that would have been like 90, 91 when I started working at the newspaper and like people were like, hey, you know, there's this thing where you can go on and yada, yada, yada about whatever. And I think that's when I think that's when I found RSPW. So, yeah, definitely in the early, early days. I know uh, some of the guys you've had on your podcast have have sort of reminisced about that time, like some of the other Death Valley guys like Phil and Dean. But, yeah, it was definitely a long, long time ago now. Yeah, uh, I think I started uh, I got on there. And then started selling. Um, uh, I had there was a Japanese video store in my neighborhood, and uh, not too far from me in California. And I started getting uh, Japanese tapes of like New Japan, All Japan TV. And then I started trading those on RSPW. Uh, was how I kind of got into this whole thing a little bit. Um, and then got hooked up with Dean and started. Uh, you know, I was not on the first two or three. Uh, uh, issues of the Death Valley Driver, but on there pretty soon afterwards. 
uh, and then for years doing that. And then when that kind of slowed down a little bit, I uh, started Segunda Caída. And I've been doing that for a good decade plus, easy. Um, and we've been, you know, doing a week daily on Segunda Caída reviews every day uh, for, you know, far, six or seven years now. So we got a big backlog of things to uh, that I and Eric and, and Matt and, have, and Tom have been writing on there. So that's kind of, and then, you know, that's, and then I uh, kind of pitched John Snowden, who also may be like an RSPW guy from, uh, may go that far back too on the book. And that's uh, come out a while ago and had some uh, pretty good success. So I've been pretty happy with it. Yeah. And uh, for people that uh, don't necessarily uh, put two and together, uh, your Matt that writes for Saguna Keita is also our Matt that writes for our magazine and has been on the pod before. So uh, that's uh, definitely somebody whose work, you know, we both, we both have used over the years. The book, like we said, is a hundred of the bloodiest wrestling matches in history. It's not necessarily the quote unquote best bloody matches. Cause I think it seems like uh, you went for a wide cross section too. Was it just stuff? that's available on video for people to see is that one of the ways that you chose what went in the book yeah everything is everything is got is available yeah i didn't want to have uh pick matches that people couldn't see based on my memory or based on a legend or something like that i wanted the footage i'm a footage guy right at, at heart so i wanted to make sure that this is stuff people could see and yeah it's not a it's not a hundred of the bloodiest or the hundred greatest. It's a hundred of the greatest bloody matches in wrestling history. So the idea is that you know I, I used blood as a as a necessary component, but you know it didn't have to be necessarily a lot of blood, and in some cases it's not very much at all. But as an opportunity to talk about a bunch of different wrestling from all over the world and all through history, and I wanted to kind of touch on the things that I have I think are really interesting to talk about. So you know it's like I, I wanted to talk about French wrestling, so I had a found a match from France that was bloody. I wanted to talk about, you know, U.S. Indie Wrestling in the 2000s. So I had a bunch of matches from that. I wanted to talk about, you know, small arena Lucha Libre from like 2013. So I talked about some kind of, uh, I wanted to have kind of a wide variety of stuff. And there's obviously some very famous, well-known matches in there. Brad Hart, Steve Austin is in the book, but so is, you know, um, uh, uh, Slim J versus Corey Hollis in Yard Call. Which isn't a match probably hard that anyone, you know, more than a couple dozen people have seen, but is really, really great in its own way. So I wanted to kind of have that mix where it's like stuff that people knew about, but also uh, I don't think there's hardly anyone who's seen all hundred of these matches. Maybe no one outside of me and uh, maybe John Snowden when he, I think he watched them all when he was editing the book. But outside of that, there's probably definitely going to be some stuff in this book that you folks have never heard of and not seen. And it's a good way to kind of, uh, you know, open your people's eyes to different styles and different wrestlers and different places and that kind of thing. Yeah. It starts the, the first book, the first match chronologically in the book is uh, a French match from the late fifties. And it goes all the way up until some recent stuff from like a year or two ago. So like yeah, I yeah. said, and but, yeah, like which is said, when I wrote it. Right. So it's right. Like, yeah. Uh, I, the, I think the, the most recent match, you know, was, was was something that was almost contemporaneous to to be writing the book. Um, yeah, like so, you said, yeah, it starts, you know, it goes from the fifties to the to basically the present. Like you said, France, Mexico, Japan, um, Canada, the United States, 
all you know probably some other places that uh puerto rico That's yeah puerto, puerto rico i in the united yeah, states i guess yeah well country. i was i was when i was like going through it today there was a bunch of stuff i was trying to sort of categorize like okay is there any place that i that leaps out that isn't represented or is there any famous match that isn't represented or what have I what have I what have I seen what have I seen lot like I was trying to figure out all these various things to come up with and I think the only one that I saw live is of all things WrestleMania 8 which was in Indianapolis which was the Piper Bret Hart match which I will admit that I really don't remember watching because I was covering WrestleMania as sort of a spectacle for the for the student newspaper in Indiana. So the Titan was very kindly uh, gave me a ticket legitimately six rows from the top of the Hoosier Dome. So that's not necessarily the best place to watch a match. I think uh, I think you're basically watching the screens and I really don't remember anything about it. You know, when it happened, I mean, I've seen it since then, but there's really not a lot of that show that I remember. But that, I think, is the only thing that I've seen live. Do you know roughly how many of these you may have actually been at that are in the book? Um, Yeah, I'm looking through the list right now. Not a ton. Um, Let's see. I was at... um, yeah, goodness gracious. I, I was definitely going to I have to get down here to the to the 2000s. I was at the uh, St- uh, Steve Crino homicide match from 2003 in ROH, uh, which is a really, really great match. Um, and I was at, um, yeah, I think just two. I was at uh, Josh Bishop, Dominic Garini in AIW, which is one of the ma- more recent matches from 2019. But those are the only two that I saw live. Um, from that from that period, not been to yeah. a ton of live wrestling, but uh, you know for whatever reason that there wasn't a gigantic overlap between stuff I've seen live and stuff in the book. There's a think- L.A. Park versus Santo match from Atlanta that I was at live that definitely would have made the book if there was more than just clips available footage wise. So it was, it was like one of those things that live. 100% would have made the book probably over there. I, I have them against each other in Monterey. I think the Atlanta match was better, but, uh, but the only thing that exists is maybe five minutes of it from Japanese TV, unfortunately. Um, that would be the other one that I think live, I would think, would want to get in there. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to think, I, of all the indie shows that I've been to, you know, starting in the mid-90s up until, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I don't think... I can't remember a lot of notable bloody matches that I saw. I mean, I went to a lot of Chikara, and obviously no blood there. Um, I've only went to like a couple ROH shows. Um, a lot of, and you know, going to a lot of Maryland indies, especially when I worked for one of the promotions. It's like you know, Maryland is infamous for their blood law, and I think I, I told this story. I think on the pod when Bo was on once. That they once we ran a show at Fort Meade in the late 90s, and the big deal about that was that since the show was on an army base, it wasn't under the jurisdiction of the athletic commission, which meant they could blade as much as they wanted. So I think there were there were um, 
a couple matches that night because I know there were a couple cage matches that I think got juiced that night, but it was such a rare thing that they kind of probably went overboard since they could. But it's just funny that like that was that at ECW. Yeah, no, no, it was Maryland Championship Wrestling. Maryland Championship Wrestling. Okay, I went to a handful. I was you know DC based for many years, uh, so I went to a, a handful of NCW shows. Not that many, but. But certainly a handful, and I, I do vaguely remember a Fort Bead show that uh, that you, people could bleed on, but I don't think I I didn't go to it. Uh, my wife works at what used to work at Fort Bead, so she probably knew the place where it was at uh, for sure. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, I, I think I think there might have been I think what some of the Virginia feds did similar things where they would do shows on RV basis so they could bleed. And I know um, that's that's I, funny. And it's funny, too, that, like, living in northern Maryland, I can't recall, like, there ever being wrestling shows at Aberdeen that I can recall. I know years ago when TNA was still around, they ran a show at Ripken Stadium. But that's the only... And then NXT ran in Bel Air a couple years ago, a show that Matt and I went to. That's the show that infamously was called like Baltimore light or near ball. I forget what there's a term that we, we use on the board for it, but like it was in Bel Air, but they were calling it Baltimore when they advertisement, which, you know, we all thought was really funny, but uh, yeah, I think the only other, the only match that I think that wasn't a great match, but a sort of an infamous match that I could have seen maybe uh, it being included was I was at the bash in Philly um, when Wahoo was wrestling Jimmy Garvin and got the blade stuck in his forehead. That famous story where the commission almost stopped the show because uh, he got the blade. You know, I think I know Cornett's told this story before on his podcast that like Wahoo got the blade stuck and then he went in the bathroom and had to squeeze his forehead to pop the blade out. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I didn't really include like you know, matches that were just famous for accidental, like, you know, like I didn't have like, you know, Fonzie Beulah isn't in this book, right? The mass transit incident isn't in this book. I'm not, I wasn't necessarily just looking for the goriest things that I could find, right? I, I don't have a ton of like uh new age death mate matches, you know, in here. It's not like a, there's not a Nick Gage match. Probably should have been, but uh, you know, there's no uh, John Wayne Murdoch or, or, uh, or um, Matt Tremont matches these guys who were sort of uh, your new age death match wrestlers. So I mean, I, I, it wasn't like it wasn't just like, oh, can I find a some a match where somebody almost bled to death? Right? Like, like all, I mean, I, there is some matches where people. I mean, there's excessive amount of blood loss in some of these matches, but that wasn't. You know, the match has to be a great match for it to make my buck. Yeah, right? the only I was trying to think what quote-unquote famous matches that may have that may have been close to being on your list and like the couple that i thought of was the fantastics and the sheepers having the barbed wire cage matches in mid-south but then you had fab sheepherders which sort of fits the same kind of you know the same niche other than it wasn't you know fab's moon dogs yeah yeah fab's moon dogs that from that sort of same genre yeah i probably could have had a sheep herder i mean you know i i 
certainly if you know when when you do a book like this and you're finished with it you immediately think there's 10 things you could have done differently and you know you guys sometimes you just got to put the thing out there and let it let it let it live and die on its own merits right but i definitely was thinking oh man i could add this or i could add that i there's some really obvious ones that i've thought of since then uh, there's Chigusa, there's no Chigusa Nagayo Don Matsumoto match in this book. There really should have been. Uh, I don't have Duggan DiBiase with the tuxedo in the cage. That should have been in there. Just, you know, things things made it or didn't make it. Uh, you know, I'll probably do at some point a volume two that'll cover all the cover all the stuff that I missed. Yeah, the other one <coughs> you mentioned Duggan that I guess because it wasn't really a match, it was more of an angle, was like the UWF title tournament when Duggan got his head ran into the post by the gang, and then he ends up having to wrestle Gordy in the finals. But that's a tournament of, you know, it's one of those things of all the Houston footage that we now have. I don't think, I don't know if that exists in its entirety. I know that's something people always wonder about. Yeah, and I had a fair amount of Houston. I mean, Houston was a real gold mine uh for this stuff during that period where we had uh uh they were uh, nwa classics was releasing this never you know this you know lost houston footage there's a bunch of that in the book um so i definitely did i mean gordy's in there you know duggan's in there dr death's in there there's a great dr death gordy uh texas death match which i read about in the book which is part of that new footage dump wasn't part of like the dvd vr mid-south set or anything like that but it's really really good um, and would be sort of more legendary, I think, if it had been around longer. Um, and another legendary match that we thought didn't exist that um, you have in the book and you talked about on the podcast is the is the famous Buzz Sawyer Tommy Rich last battle of Atlanta match, you know, which we always thought was lost, and then suddenly WWF turned it up out of the blue on their hidden gems thing and said, "Oh yeah, we have like it was found." Well, you know, somebody in the office at Stanford was going through tapes and, you know, like came across it. it. It's pretty crazy. I just, you know, that obviously imagine what they have just sitting in boxes that somebody hasn't gone through. Right. Um, Yeah, it was cool. It was, you know, I I had a long podcast with Chris Elder about that. We had a little bit, I think, of a disagreement as I think that match was, I mean, obviously so anticipated. Right. Like everybody was so excited about that match. I thought it kind of didn't live up to the hype a little bit, although it's, you know, very good. But as far as like, you know, there are, there are eighties brawls in my book, which are less uh, legendary and much better. I think. Um, Although obviously it was insane that we got a chance to see it. Well, that's, I mean, again, you know, when you're picking and choosing what to put in the book and you want a cross section, like there's only so much, there's only so much Jerry Lawler Memphis you can put in the book. And well, know, Lawler you, didn't bleed a lot in Memphis. That was, he was like the weird eighties baby face who didn't bleed that much. So it was like, you know, there are all these great Lawler matches that just don't really have juice in them. Even though you thought you kind of think that they would have, like he doesn't bleed neither Dundee match. Um, so it, it kind of Lawler Memphis is like, I wish I could have put some Lawler in there that I, that my sort of arbitrary uh, criteria didn't fit. Um, so I just have the one uh, Mantel match, but you know Lawler didn't bleed in a lot of his great. I mean, I guess I have the idol match too, but Lawler wasn't a big bleeder, especially for like an '80s babyface, right? Compared to like Cologne or Dusty or even Hogan. Yeah, well, I guess 
I guess with Memphis, I guess he sort of had enough other people on the card that if you wanted, if you wanted juice, there were people to have it, which, and speaking of, there's a great sort of hidden gem that people may or may not know about is the, is the, uh, is the Marlon Tommy Gilbert match. Oh yeah. I just, I actually am, uh, dropping, uh, I don't know when, when this is coming out, but by the way of, uh, blade with Eric about that match, we talked about that match for like an hour plus for a seven minute match. Uh, yeah, that match is incredible. Uh, it really is. I mean, I, we're doing the pod on it. Obviously, again, I watched it again. And usually, I when I'm doing pods, I'll actually have the match on on my computer and kind of glance at it while I'm talking about it. Probably, since that match is so short, I probably watched the match like eight times. Uh, last night is when we recorded the pod, and it's just like it's it's. I was describing the pod. It's really like a perfect wrestling match. Like everything about it is just absolutely. You could not have done the things they did better. Uh, I love that match so much. But yes, it's just great. We just two old guys past their prime, taking their boots off and smashing each other in the head with it. And speaking of of old guys beating each other up, um, there's a lot of uh, more modern Mexico independent stuff that has a lot of old guys beating each other up, including, you know, probably everybody's. Uh, favorite black terry since we all know black terry jr since he used to you know shoot so much stuff and put so much stuff online there's all this great stuff it's even funnier you think about him filming you know his 50 or 60 year old dad having these insanely bloody matches on these mexican independent shows for like the last 10 or 15 years i mean black terry is 69 years old that's all black terry is uh so you know the wotan match in my book he was like 66 in or something like that. And he had a match with Ricky Marvin that's this year, which we have in our top five for match of the years. That's a similar kind of bloody ball. So he's still doing this at almost 70 um, at like a really high level, which is just completely insane when you think about it. But yeah, I've got a couple. I have two Black Terry matches in the book. I could have had 15 but, you know, at some point you don't want to kind of like you kind of have a thing you want to say about Black Terry and uh, and you obviously don't want to repeat yourself by putting in, you know, oh, I also got to put in Black Terry Arrow Boy and I got to put in Black Terry uh, Dr. Cerebro. I got to be he's just a guy who, who had this he's had this incredible, you know, almost 15 year run, all of it after his in his, after his, you know, he turned like 55 where he's been like one of the best brawlers of all time. And you would imagine there's probably he probably had some good matches in his forties, right? Like, which is that stuff you don't have footage of. Like, you just assume that you know it's not like he got good at fifty three, right? Probably probably five, but we don't have those uh, those matches. And but yeah, Black Terry Black Terry Junior. His, his son is like like the uh, you know like the Martin Scorsese of the wrestling handheld. He's like this weirdly brilliant filmmaker, and he gets goes shows to these independent lucha shows and you know records these these incredible matches um and i've got a you know there's a, a couple matches uh there's also matches that his father aren't isn't in that he recorded which is in the book uh there's a six man from zona 23 and a, a trauma one uh mask match that are both his uh his recordings as well yeah terry terry's a great guy i when uh, when we did the Lucha issue of the magazine a few years ago, you know he was nice enough to uh, 
let me use, well, let me license some of his photos to use. So to go along with like the interviews that we did with, with Hechicero and Zeusies and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so yeah, Terry's definitely been, been uh, a friend of the magazine. Another old luchador that is a friend of the magazine um, that I heard you recently got to see live. And that is Negro Casas. Yeah. Um, not didn't. Yeah. I got to see Negro Casas live in uh, Colorado. I've seen him live a couple times in Colorado, but relatively recently against Rocky Romero. And he's still really incredible for a guy who's again, also in his sixties. Um, there isn't like a really legendary note. I mean, he's kind of in the book uh, in the sense that I it covered the Negro Casas. He uh, had uh, Santo El Dandy three way hair match, but that's basically an El Hayato Santo El Dandy match. Negro Casas is in it for like, you know, the first five minutes. Um, but yeah, he's incredible. Although not a guy I, I really think of as like a giant bleeder from Mexican luchador. That's a that's a culture that's got some really great bleeders. But I can't really think of like an iconic Negro Casas bloodbath. But yeah, an incredible performer. Like I, I've seen him live a handful of other times. I saw him live in Mexico. And he's like one of those guys who's just uh, so electric. You just want to watch. He'll be there'll be wrestlers in the ring, and you'll just be watching him on the apron because he's just you know like I just want to see what he's doing on the apron. I don't even really care about uh, what's going on in the way. Even if the guys in the ring are incredible, it's still just like I want to see how Negro Casas reacts to them more than I want to see what they're wrestling at. But yeah, love Negro Casas, one of the five greatest wrestlers of all time, probably. Yeah, a couple years ago, I had been talking with Sam Adonis about maybe helping to him put on one of his lucha shows in Pittsburgh. And I was going to like help fly in some guys and like Casas was like the first person I, I sort of didn't care about how much it was going to cost. I was like, you know, if I could bring Casas into like a show on the East coast for us to see, but unfortunately that was during a time when he didn't have a visa. So, or it expired or something or other. So like he, he was like somebody that wasn't on the list. And then as it turns out, that prob- that show probably wouldn't have been happened anyway because as it turns out, that was like the week after lockdown started. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I, I the, the shows I go to in, De- in Denver, there's a lot of lucha in Denver, uh, weirdly. Like I've, I've, there's four separate – I've been to shows of four separate, completely separate promotions that sometimes run against each other. And they're all, all bringing fly-ins. But I get the sense, like, if you're working, like, a Lucha show in Denver, for, uh, you know, with the Tehran, with the mostly, almost everybody, there's like, I don't know how many of these guys have visas. I just get a sense that they just bring them in. Because Negro Casas, I mean, I saw Negro Casas, I know he's got a visa now, but I saw him, like, two years ago, and uh, three years ago, and uh, he didn't have a visa that. I just think he, they just come with the uh, assumption that this is these are so off the radar of white folks that they can kind of get away with coming in without visas. Or something like bigger, uh, more mainstream, they might not be able to do. But if they're working like a like a banquet hall in a in a strip mall or something like that in the suburbs of Denver, I imagine they're just they're just they show up. Yeah, uh, we mentioned a couple of times that you're doing a podcast to that goes along with uh, the book, and you've had a bunch of people on. And you know, there's been like. Uh, people i would say of our genre you know the the sort of wrestling nerds talk about you know like you said dean and philip and on and eric and tom from death valley and some other guys but you've also had a number of uh humongous guest stars to come on 
to talk about matches that they're actually in. Yeah, uh, I've got, I've had, I think, I've had, yeah, like four or five different wrestlers who've been able to talk about matches they were involved in. I had um, uh, uh, some, you know, lesser name guys, but still great wrestlers. I had Josh Joshua Bishop, who's a uh, the champion of AIW. I think he's still the champion, but uh, one of the big wrestlers in AIW in Cleveland's the guy who I think is going to be a, a star in wrestling at some point. He's a big kid and still really young and really talented. Uh, I had him on to talk about his match with Dominic Garini, which was a uh, which was a um, an I Quit match that they held WrestleMania weekend, um, I guess 2019, uh, that I was happy to go out live. It's really really great match, really crazy. Uh, match I had Dan the dra- uh, Reverend Dan Wilson, um, who's the leader of the. It uh, was a great Southern manager. He manages is back in wrestling. He was he was retired when I had him on the pod, but came back soon after. Manages Tank, uh, you know, it, 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 during Tank's sort of run in the Indies, but was a manager of the Devil's Rejects and NWA Anarchy, and then uh, and I had him on and Jeff G Bailey, who's also sort of a legendary manager. Uh, in the Southern Indies, had them both on to talk about a couple of war games matches from Anarchy. Um, and then I had Steve Kern on, uh, you know, who talked about that fabulous one, uh, Moondogs match. And, I, and then he just told a dozen insane stories about uh, his, his career and bloody matches he's been in. That's a real wild one. And then I had Dustin Rhodes on to talk about the Dustin Rhodes Cody match which was really awesome uh, chance to talk to him. That was kind of, you know, uh, one of the first big things that I did uh, that people seem to remember from those old message board days was the dust of the day post that me and Tom did. So getting a chance to actually talk to Dustin Rhodes for an hour and it was a real treat. Yeah. The Steve Kern pod is the one that I told people to go listen to because the story that he told about how he almost bled to death, and the way he told it was such a great story. You know, it's not, you know, and, you know, he came out of it okay, more or less. But, you know, like to hear him tell that, that's a great story to hear about. And again, when you're talking about a book about bloody wrestling, sort of what can go wrong in one of these matches if people aren't careful and lucky or a little bit of both? Yeah, no, that, that, he told, I, you know, the, my regret is I like, that pod was a little of like an hour 15 or something like that, which is the length of most of my pods are. And I think I kind of sort of, we had told a bunch of great stories and I was like, Oh, it's been about an hour 15. I don't want to take any more of his time. So I kind of wrapped it up, but I have a feeling we could have just gone for like three hours and he would have been fine. <laughs> I would have gotten five more stories. Like at Heights. And I was like, ah, I should have just taken this to a part two. It just kept it, kept the microphone running on Steve Card and just let him, let him, uh, let him riff. Because he was he was he was crazy. Yeah, I mean that story about him almost bleeding death when he had to when he lost his blade and then Jonathan Boyd bladed him uh, was just nuts. I can imagine Jonathan Boyd do it. I wouldn't wouldn't let Jonathan Boyd uh, water my plants, much less cut me in the forehead with a razor blade. Yeah, <laughs> he I, told it. Yeah, yeah, I, just, think, yeah I think Boyd is Boyd is one of those people that I would probably put in the category of like Sullivan and Abby of guys i don't want to like say gay yeah, you go ahead and blade for me because you're much better at it and lord knows what might happen i don't know if that's ever a good idea to have you having somebody else blade you I mean, that's always like some of your 
biggest bloody wrestling accidents have been other people blading them. I did a pot of, in the book talked about the uh, Akira Hoka to Shinobu Kandori match. I talked about that with Dan Daniel Maccabi is a great uh, independent professional wrestler. And we chatted about that match. And that match is kind of famous for some reason. Hokuda had Wally Yamaguchi blader. Um, who knows why? But uh, And she, like, just absolutely, you know, puddles of blood all over the ring. Um, the Beulah-Fonzie match, which is sort of famous. He's never been in the book. It's not a good match. But where Fonzie almost bleeds to death, I think he had somebody blade him to the ref or somebody. Uh, I think the secret is you always got to blade yourself. Don't let anybody else judge the appropriate amount to cut your forehead with a razor blade. <laughs> you gotta just, you just gotta, you gotta go for it, right? You gotta do it yourself. You know, DIY. You know, having having somebody else do that always seems like it's a mistake. Yeah, that was something I was sort of wondering about. I was flipping through the book, and I was sort of wondering, like, how many of these matches like actually got hard way juice versus how many, I assume the majority of them were just the normal way with the blade, but I wonder how many of them were just guys beating the crap out of them so badly or knowing the tricks on how to, how to get, how to bust a guy open, you know, like probably using the, like the knuckle trick that everybody always talks about. So the Japanese, a lot of the, the I think all the shoot matches, the Japanese shoot style matches in here are hard way blood. So Nakano Funaki, that's a broken nose. Um, Fujiwara Yamazaki is like a bloody mouth. Uh, Ishikawa Ikeda is a bloody mouth. I think that's legitimate. I got the sense um, the Tenro Fujinami match from the Dome show, I think is uh, that's an accidental like head like head clash thing. I'm trying to think of what other ones. Um, Aja Kong Hoda, I, that's, that match is sort of a, a really great match. And that's got like, uh, a really, really bloody hand. Like Hoda's, uh, it's like a stigmata almost. I think that's from a piece of a table. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones that were play jobs. Uh, those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head where it, looked, where it was just like, that was just an accident or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it could be uh, low key. Chris Hero from PWG is a broken nose. Uh, this just low key, you know, kicking Chris Hero right in the face and breaking his nose. Uh, and I think uh, there's also Hero Kingston is a broken nose too. That's like based on like a flying chair. So everyone's wanting to get those. Yeah, yeah, I, and yeah, I saw that works Kingston, too. Yeah, I saw Kingston bloody up Shane Storm on a Chikara show, which is obviously accidental because there's no blood in Chikara, but I don't remember if it was like from the back fist or whatever. Yeah, he breaks his, he breaks his nose. That's a great match. Yeah, because uh, I remember it just we were sitting there in the front row and all of a sudden like, it's like Storm's leaning over the top rope out of the ring and like you just start seeing it drip out and we're like, oh boy. You know, I mean, but I mean, I mean, everybody now knows how great Eddie Kingston was, but, you know, it used to be, you know, those of us going to the Indies back, you know, in the mid-2000s knew how great he was there. So it's great that he's now gotten on this stage where more people can appreciate his talent. Yeah, he's had a hell of a year. Um, 2021 was, I mean, he had some incredible matches that year for a guy who's been around for as long as he's been around to kind of be peaking, you know, at age 40. Uh, and having these just incredible matches on TV, you know, 
uh, or pay-per-view with CM Punk or uh, Brian Danielson. I just, you know, I love Eddie Kingston. It's one of my, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. So it's, I was really thrilled. Like, very little about wrestling like made me emotional anymore. But like him getting that sort of opportunity actually, like, you know, you know makes me emotional. Like, I mean, it's so great that he's got this chance to be for a guy that, you know, we've been beating the drum for forever. Uh, to actually get a chance to be there on TV and get it, you know, and obviously get as over as he has, and uh, and hopefully, I mean, he feels like a guy they should put the title on at some point, and, and I think that they probably will, is my suspicion. Uh, but yeah, but there's something about seeing a guy like him when you're in a fire hall and there's like only a hundred or two hundred people, and he's, you know, stiffing the the crap out of Shane Storm or Tim Donst like right in front of you and you're just like especially you know when he was in Chikara when he stood out as being so different among all the I mean all the gimmicks that that they had at the time I mean it's funny you know you you know and you've had the guys who've gone on to bigger success now in different gimmicks but you know like back then seeing you know Kingston and Hero and Claudio and people and and Brody you know, that went on to be much bigger stars in the intimate setting. It's one of the great things about going to, to live indie wrestling, especially in small buildings that, you know, you just don't get from watching on television. Yeah, I've had the real opportunity to see a lot of really, really, really incredible wrestlers work in sort of small club settings, right? You know, whether it was like, you know, Key and Dragon, at like those ECWA shows where they kind of broke out. Or, I mean, I saw, I've seen Santo a bunch of times including in, you know, in Denver here in a small venue. I saw him in a really small venue in New York. Uh, you know, it's like, you got, this is a, uh, I saw Shinya Hashimoto in like Pennsylvania, like an indie show. I work on like a 45 minute Iron Man four way uh, with uh, Dylan Knight, uh, Gary Steele and, and Steve Carino. Where it's like, what is Shinya Hashimoto? Why is why do I get to watch Shinya Hashimoto for forty five minutes in front of it is you know strip mall in front of like one hundred and fifteen people with like rock and rebel heckling uh, him and Hoshikawa from the sidelines? <laughs> but it was like one of the most incredible live wrestling experiences of my life. It's like, oh my god, Shinya Hashimoto, he's right in front of me, and he just kicked the absolute lungs out of Dylan Knight. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I love it. It's a cool thing about wrestling is, you know, you get to sometimes see these like all time legendary performers work like, you know, club shows, right? It's like, 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 you know, it would be like seeing, uh, Dave Chappelle do an hour at like a, you know, like a LA improv or something like that when you weren't expecting it or, or watch, uh, you know, some incredible rock and roll band play at like a bar. Yeah. See, that was a good thing about being in in like a, a college town that was sort of like big enough, like Bloomington that you would get famous people, uh, either sort of older acts or, you know, people that I had no idea who they were when I saw them then, but became, I mean, there was a club that always had, that was famous for live music there that I think when I was like a sophomore or junior in college, we got to see Richard Thompson play like an acoustic set just in this bar. And you're like, you know, what is Richard Thompson doing you know, in Indiana in, like, 1993? But, hey, he's here, and, like, I got to cover it. So that was, you know, that was cool. We're seeing they might be giants, I, you know, like when they were on the flood tour. 
that was cool. But yeah, it's the same, it's the same kind of thing where, you know, if we dare call wrestling sort of performance art as opposed to sport, you know, that like, yeah, getting to see it live is different than watching it on TV. If only because of the, you know, well, at least back in our day, to use the phrase, when you, when you had, when you actually had spontaneity, um, in wrestling matches, which, you know, we don't always get, unfortunately, these days, at least on the big time. I think there's certainly some people still doing interesting things in smaller places, like there always has been, right? I mean, that you know, that's... And, and some interesting things in big places, too. I don't, you know, I, I'm i not a giant... I'm a, you know, a back-of-the-day kind of guy, too, but, I, you know, there, there's enough stuff. There's enough... You can, you know, I could call together 70 matches from 2021 I really liked. Not as easy it would have been to find 70 matches from 1995 or 1987, I really like, but you can still find them. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, and it is kind of cool that I think that, I think independent wrestling has become a little less homogenized now, which is kind of interesting than it maybe was five years ago. I think there are enough people doing weird, interesting things that are a little different from what you might have, what you where everything kind of felt some variation of, ROH or PWG style maybe five years ago. Uh, now modern wrestling is kind of that, but back in the in the indies and things, you'll see people doing different things, shoot style stuff, a lot of women's wrestling, a lot of like you know different kind of different kind of things. There's a lot of people bringing over like uh, luchadors to work like you know trios matches on GCW shows or something like that. That's pretty cool. So I'm not as pessimistic about wrestling as maybe I was you know two years ago. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about, since it's uh, one of the things that you guys are known for at Segunda, is um, not that you guys necessarily discovered, but you certainly have popularized all of this examination of French catch stuff. So how did that kind of start? Oh, we kind of discovered it. Uh, I, I think the first French match that anybody ever talked about, at least on the Internet, was uh, a um, uh, Gilbert Seska versus Billy Contenzaro, which is something I found on Daily Motion, like just farting around looking for wrestling. And I was like, what is this? This is French wrestling from the 50s? And then, holy shit, what the fuck is this? I've never seen anything like this. Uh, and that was like the first match I heard anyone ever talk about from France in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And then, you know, through methods that we shall not talk about on the podcast we got access to the French wrestling film archive and me and, and Matt, who you mentioned and involved in it, some other people were able to sort of, you know, get our hands on this stuff. And then we've been sort of, you know, talking about it once a week, talking about two matches, putting the matches up on YouTube. And it's this whole world of pro wrestling that even true freaks uh, like me, you know, hadn't ever really heard about or talked about. And it's been pretty cool because you just don't usually get the opportunity to just dig into a culture like this. It's completely, you know, foreign to the experience of, uh, of wrestling. It's really, really, really great matches from France, like some stuff that lines up with the best wrestling anywhere in the world. And, uh, and a lot of real stylistic variants, too. They've got their junior stuff is really this incredibly fast acrobatic, you know, like you would expect to see in like a PWG or, you know, a, a kind of promotion where guys are doing like Rana's and head scissors and are crazy arm drags and huge, you know, 
really, really crazy fast exchanges. And then they've got like heavy heavyweight wrestling that's really stiff. Like you'd see something like it would be, it almost looks like a Johnny Valentine match where guys are just killing each other with forearms and uppercuts and body slams and elbow drops and knee drops, really hard hitting style. And then they have sort of your more uh, elaborate sort of character wrestling stuff. Guys like Quasimodo and La Angel Blanc and, uh, you know, guys that are really doing these sort of uh, Dr. Adolf Kaiser guys doing really character, big match character wrestling. So you really get it all. Um, and there's some really, and it's cool. You get, there's some looks at guys that you would have heard of uh, before. There's a lot of Eduardo Carpentier. There's some Andre, um, you know, there's uh, guys like that who have obviously, you know, are big names, but don't have that same sort of, this is a new chance to look at their, that era. 1970 Fit Finley match when he was like 22. So it's been pretty dope. We've been going through it. And, you know, so we're, we're into 1970 now. We started in 57. We've got up through the 70s. So we're reaching the, we're probably at the back third of the footage, but we still have a lot left. The one that I thought was cool, I mean, among sort of the other names that you mentioned that people may have never heard of, it was, I'm not sure how many of his matches you guys have put up, but Seeing young Alfred Hayes, I thought was kind of cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's We got like three or four, you know, 22-year-old Al Hayes matches. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he was so, he was like a really, 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 uh, like, talented, like, grappler. Uh, like, really, you know, like a Blue Panther or, a, you know, Regal. Like, a really, like, fast reversal guy. Kind of, you know, really elaborate uh, mat wrestling stuff that... This is really you watching? Oh shit! This guy was incredible. Yeah, there's some older. We had never had anything when he was that young. There was some older stuff when he was like more of a heel when he was in his like 40s and 50s from England. We had, but this was all stuff when he was like 23, 24. Handsome, you know, like doing fast exchanges. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I kind of forgot about Ali as we're talking about the rest of the people had heard of, but he's great. Um, and then there's you know guys that. You didn't. I don't think anybody had ever heard of before, but like guys like Inca Pirano and uh, Tony Oliver and uh, you know Gilbert Seska and, and guys like that who are, you know, you watch enough of their footage, you go, okay, these guys are all-time great wrestlers, like legendary wrestlers, and we just didn't know things. A lot of them even that they existed, and here they are. Here's a bunch of enough footage of them to get a sense of what they're like, uh, which is really cool. That's what I always tell people. I said, you know, if you're disenchanted with modern stuff, I'm like, there's always stuff out there that even people who have been around as long as you and I and people who have even been around longer. I'm like, I'm sure there's there's plenty of stuff on the Internet that like even like Dave or Dr. Lucci haven't seen before that has been unearthed or just nobody ever knew about or somebody finally got the tapes converted of. You know, we've now been seeing some of this Des UWA promotion stuff out there that, that Joe Dombrowski has been putting out. And, you know, Les has some Southeastern stuff that, you know, he's he's put up over the that they put up over the last couple of years. So it's like even if there's nothing you like now, there's always older stuff that you can find or there's new stuff from places you haven't heard of that. You know, you can find online now that it's like it's, it you know it's a it's a treasure trove if you're a if you're a fan of the business, 
you know, no matter what, you know, kind of taste you have, there's always stuff to watch. Yeah, what's one thing we do every Friday on Saguna Gaeta, a new footage Friday, where we basically try to find things that we think have unearthed that were not out there before. Like they weren't, you know, people's tape trading collections or whatever. And we've been doing that for, you know, a couple of two or three or four years now. And basically every Friday it's like, okay, here's, here's a match that, uh, that we certainly didn't think was out there before. It was a handheld or whatever. And, you know, it's been pretty fun. I mean, like last Friday we, we did the, you know, one of those big, the big uh, MSG shows, maybe three, which they hadn't, hadn't been put up before. Um, and then, you know, before the week before that we were doing like Panamanian Lucha I mean, from Panama, put up a bunch of Lucha Libre from Panama. I've never seen Panamanian Lucha before, but it's pretty good. <laughs> and yeah, like this week, I think we've got a some. Uh, we've we've uh, there's a MSG Andre the Giant Snuka versus Schultz and Piper tag that was hadn't been out there in anything but clips before that got put up on the network, and then we're putting up a. Uh, Commander Boishoy, uh, who's a Joshi wrestler, she put up a bunch of ma- her matches on like a YouTube channel that hadn't really been out there before. Do one of those, and you know, it's always you can always find like cool shit that even you know people like me or Eric or, or Matt who've watched so much wrestling can find stuff that okay we hadn't seen this. Well, it's funny. A couple years ago, I was at a convention in Richmond where I was set up, and Cornette was there. And JJ was there amongst other people. And I asked both of them at the time, do you know, is there more Crockett Cup footage from the first year? I said, because, you know, Crockett put out the tape, but the tape was only two hours long and it was almost all clips, except for like maybe the last couple of matches were mostly intact. And both of them thought there wasn't. And then like, Six months later, the WWF puts out like four hours of it. And I'm like, which is something I had wanted to see, you know, forever since, since it happened. And there it was, there was two guys who were, you know, were in the office that didn't think it existed and it turns up. So you just never know. Yeah. You just, I mean, I assume that eventually, you know, it might take for a long time and eventually, you know, we'll, all this stuff will sort of flow to the top, whether it's the network deciding they want to put some of the, Omni stuff that they almost assuredly have on tape out or somebody getting, you know, put light in a fire over whoever has control of the rest of that Houston footage and getting them to put it out. Or I think there's stuff in the Televisa uh, vault, TV vaults from Lucha stuff that we haven't seen. And yeah, it's cool. So, but, I mean, there is a no, I, I've said this before, I think I even wrote this in the book. There's no unseen Martin Scorsese film from 1972. Right. Yeah. Like, like they're, they're uh, you know, that, that uh, there's no like Bob Dylan doesn't have an album from 1968, which is just sitting somewhere. But there are like, you know, Harley race title defenses from Houston, which we know exist on day, but we know we're sitting in Billy Corgan's uh, a box of Billy Corgan's garage or whatever. And hopefully eventually we'll get to see those. Cool. Phil, I want to thank you very much for doing the show today. Uh, as we've said, um, Way the Blade is out now. You can get it, you know, wherever you get your books, whether it's online. I don't know, you know, about brick and mortar, but you can certainly get it from Amazon. You can certainly get it digitally. Um, you've got the pod where, like we said, you've had Dustin on, you've had Steve Kern on, you've had a, a bunch of uh, 
us talking heads on Tony uh, Khan. Tony Khan. Yes, there's somebody. Speaking of uh, Death Valley Driver alum, as it were, that right, sure. little little did we know that when we were posting 20 years ago, that somebody who would own a wrestling promotion was also posting on there. Yeah, he's he's deep into it too, man. I, I would talk to him a little after the pod. He was like talking about old threads from like 20 years ago. And he's like, he wasn't a, he wasn't just an occasional Death Valley Driver poster. He was in the he was in the weeds uh, for sure. It's good. Uh, um, but yeah, I got got the pod, got Segunda Kaida. I uh, wrote something for the Ringer um, a couple weeks ago on the te- on some of the great ROH matches on the on their closing and was on the Mass Man Pod, which is David Shoemaker's thing. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I'm gonna do some more work for them coming up next year. So yeah, I got big things, easy to find. Is it official that you you are doing the Dustin as Dustin of the day as a book or is that yeah still- I got a yeah I got a I got a contract for it. Uh, um, we'll see what event what uh what format it eventually ends up being. I think that's a little up in the air, but yeah we're doing it. I'm writing I'm writing it right now. Tom's writing, so that should be out hopefully. I don't know maybe next sometime late next year or early uh, 2023. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if the, I don't know if you can go on the board and still find those anywhere, but, uh, found some of them. We found some. We, we were definitely something we couldn't find. Uh, so there'll be some old ones that we'll probably do some, uh, some rewriting on or some, uh, editing on and then, you know, new, new pieces as well. Cool. Well, thanks a lot again, Phil, for your time. Everybody check out Phil's book and definitely listen to the podcast. Uh, go watch some uh, French Catch Wrestling, too. Um, thanks again, and we will talk to everybody next time. 